open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Mark Wong Tower, Mark Wong Tower, this is Albatross 1 3, requesting permission to land. Over. I don't need a computer to tell me how to land a damn airplane. Six. Heads up display, check. Five. Lasers, check. Four. Particle beam, check. Three. Proton bolts, check. Two. Chair control, check. One. Let's do it. Broadcasting from a secret underground location somewhere in Moss Eisley, this is the Docking Bay 77 Podcast. Make yourself comfortable. The show is about to start. Hello and welcome to the Docking Bay 77 Podcast. I am your Western host, Dayton Johnson. I'd like to introduce a couple of partners of mine. Over here, I got the guy with a seven shooter, and it's not very magnificent. It is the co-host of a film by a podcast, Jeff Johnson. How's it going, Jeff? I guess it's going all right, you two-bit redneck peckerwood. <laughs> <laughs> Fabulous. All right. And the guy who makes the coffee for his own wild bunch, Andrew Blakely. How's it going, Andrew? Howdy. Happy to be here. Ruby. Yes. Before we get into the topic, listeners, do us a favor. Like, follow, rate, and review, and subscribe on your podcast app of choice. Uh, we love five-star reviews and we love hearing from uh, our listeners. So please do us a favor and hit that up. Uh, social media, you can reach out to us and we'd love to hear from you on Twitter at DockingBase77Pod, on Facebook at DockingBase77Podcast, and you can send us an email at DockingBase77Podcast at gmail.com. And also check us out on Patreon for as little as $1 a month. You can help offset the cost of the production of this podcast. There, that's all taken care of. On to the topic. Uh, we are covering the 1960 Magnificent Seven versus the 1969 The Wild Bunch. So since uh, The Magnificent Seven was first, we'll cover that. Here are a few facts about the movie. It was released October 12th, 1960 by United Artists, directed by John Sturgis, who also did Bad Day at Black Rock, Gunfight at the OK Corral, and The Great Escape. Starring an ensemble cast of A-list tough guys, you have Yul Brenner, Steve McQueen, Charles Bronson, James Coburn, Robert Vaughn, and Eli Wallach. The movie is a remake of the Akira Kurosawa film, The Seven Samurai. The score was done by Elmer Bernstein and was nominated for an Oscar. The movie was a commercial and critical success and is considered one of the best Westerns of all time. Seven, seven, seven. The Magnificent Seven They were only seven, but they fought by seven hundred To bring the kind of justice that would last Seven, seven, seven The Magnificent Seven They made a brave stand, the Magnificent Seven They fought for the future to wipe away their Ride on. Ride on. Somehow I don't think you solved my problem. Solving your problems isn't in our line. We deal in lead, friend. 
So do I. We're in the same business, huh? Only as competitors. Now, Jeff, do you remember when, where, and who you saw this movie with? Uh, wow. I, I'm going to have to say uh, my earliest memory of it would have been watching it with my dad, probably on like TBS or one of the local stations. Gotcha. Like All right. Mm-hmm. How about you, Andrew? Uh, well, my mom always had the biggest crush on Steve McQueen. So uh, all of his classics <laughs> I watched before I can even remember. Uh, I, I was probably a, a baby the first time I saw this. Gotcha. Um, mine was a little bit of, I probably saw part of it uh, on cable and stuff like that when I was a teenager. And I revisited when I was a little older, my late 20s, um, early 30s to kind of, uh, I got a little bit of a classic movie kick. So I know I watched it then. And I watched it at the same time, roughly the same time I watched uh, Seven Samurai for the first time because I wanted to compare and contrast them. So, uh, good movie. Uh, how do you like that? I want him buried. You want him buried. And if he could sit up and talk, he'd second a motion. Now, that's as unanimous as you can get. Friend, you behave like a brother and a Christian, but you just don't have... Now, look. I'm not looking for any praise. I'm a traveling salesman. Ladies' corsets. I'm walking down the street and a man drops dead right in front of me. For two hours, people kept stepping over and around him without lifting a finger. I'm just doing what any decent man would. All right, so let's um, let's start off with some likes and what works. Jeff, tell us something that works for this movie. Something that works for this movie definitely is the chemistry between Yul Brenner and Steve McQueen. Right. Um, I, I look at it now, like when you watch when you watch something like um, Brad Pitt and George Clooney in the oceans movies. Right. Okay. I almost, I almost feel like they're channeling these two guys because uh, I saw like even watching this um, recently for, uh, again, I kind of picked up on that. And um, there's a, there's a, there's a lot of stories about the, the one upmanship, um, <clears throat> excuse me, the one upmanship that was going on behind the scenes between these two. Okay. And, uh, and I think it transcends to the screen pretty easy. And I'm, you know, aside from those guys, I mean, this is just a stellar cast. Uh, you know, seeing James Colburn and, jo- and Charles Bronson, uh, you know, Eli Walk as a as a another another bad guy for us to despise. <laughs> I, I just I love the cast in this film. That's one of the big big draws for me on this one. Yeah, I, I actually love uh, Yul Brenner and uh, and Steve McQueen's uh, character intros. You know, when they hook up at the you know the drive uh, the um, the wagon oh, up there to deliver yeah. the dead guy to the <laughs> cemetery. Yeah. Let's say like, about that. Like whoa. these guys, these guys don't know each other. They don't know the poor bastard that's been shot down. Right. But just the idea that no one will take this this hearse up to Boot Hill, and they're just they just both jump on it. I love it. You know. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was cool. It was a. It automatically gives you a kind of sense of who these guys are. Like you know, they might they might be gunslingers. They might do some not so great things, but they know this is right, and then eh, we're going to do this because it has to be done. It's funny you brought up uh, Pitt and Clooney in Ocean's Eleven because rewatching it recently, that came to mind several times with not just <laughs> their introduction going up to Boot Hill, um, but a lot of the introductions. Uh, Coburn's, uh, I, I guess you could call it a quick draw with a knife. Yeah. That was one of the first scenes that comes to mind for me. But uh, you know, as each character is introduced, I constantly found myself thinking, we don't get Ocean's Eleven, at least not the modern iteration, without this. I mean, I know that was obviously a remake of the, the old Rat Pack movie, but it feels like it took a lot of the, the likable introductions uh, and likable chemistry from this movie. I thought that several times. I also think uh, them accepting 
the uh, the task of taking this this body up to Boot Hill, it 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 quickly establishes the the integrity that these guys have. Like uh, I, I bought into it quickly. You know, when the, when the three villagers show up, just looking for anyone to help them, I I feel that there's a sincerity in Yul Brynner's uh, character and his performance. Like I I believe that he genuinely wants to help them. Yeah, uh, just based on that Boot Hill scene. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I completely agree. Um, Andrew, something you like? What works? Uh, well, he took my first one. I love I love that chemistry, but right. uh, I think I it's got to be one of our everybody's on this one. <laughs> I mean, they, the cast of this movie is it shines. But uh, another thing that really stands out to me is, uh, you know, like you, Dayton, I revisited this after you know going on my Kurosawa kick in my twenties, and uh, I love the translation of that to this. There are amount of times where the the camera work and the cinematography feels like it's Kurosawa. Like it feels like this shot was set up in a way that if you make these poor Mexican farmers Japanese and you slightly tweak it a little bit, it almost feels like this is taken directly from feudal Japan um, in a way that doesn't feel like it's forced, but it also, I don't know how to describe it, but it, it's just beautiful. It, it It's an homage to the original while being its own thing. All right. You know, the translation of the story was pretty successful. Um, you don't always get that when you get a foreign film and they remake it uh, for the States. Uh, some of that's lost, but I think they uh, kept the story and kept the uh, integrity of the story intact with this one, for sure. Um, so much that Kurosawa himself even said they did a great job. He presented uh, Sturgis with uh, a sword after having watched it and fell in love with it. So yeah, but you don't get much of a better honor than that as a director. Yeah, I think, I think that's better than an Oscar if you really think about it. <laughs> <laughs> I love uh, one of my favorite things about this movie was uh, the scene where Chico sneaks into the bandits camp and is standing there like talking and you know, just kind of talking to uh, Eli Wallach's character that cracks me up. It's so yeah. much fun. And it's so perfect for that character. Cause he's, you know, he's trying so hard to be as cool as these other guys, as tough as these other guys. So he does one of the stupidest things he can do <laughs> and, 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 but pulls it off and does it. And um, it also kind of clues you in, as to what kind of uh, character Wallach's character is, because he doesn't even recognize that this guy isn't part of his gang. And that's just funny. Mm -hmm. uh, so I love that scene. Um, I, I rewatched re it a couple of times as last viewing, because it was just making me laugh, you know, and then the expressions on everybody's faces when he comes back and tells them where he was. It's great. Love it. All right, uh, Jeff, something else you like, something else uh, that works for you. What makes this movie good? Oh, what makes this movie good? I mean, we're talking about Sturgis. I mean, okay. this is the guy. This is the guy that gave us the Great Escape. You know, he he did he did one of my favorite westerns, uh, Last Train to Gun Hill. Um, mm. He he knows he knows the source material. I mean, you know, he's done you know Gunfight of the OK Corral with uh, you know um, the greats that he had at the time. It's just like, no matter what uh, what he does, you know what what the source material is, he captures it really good. Um, and I'm not talking just about the actors, like even the score. And I know we'll get into the score later, but um, I, I, I just love it uh, for for the whole, the whole ensemble thing that he can do. Honestly, okay. All right, Andrew, something else? Uh, I think it was the humor in it. I think that I didn't necessarily appreciate when I watched it as a kid, but uh, a lot of westerns have a tendency to get really slow and and drag on because. They, they take themselves too seriously. And I think a lot of the characters in this, even characters like uh, uh, Charlie Bronson, like you don't normally get a lot of humor from Charles Bronson. <laughs> True. There's a couple times that he can deliver a line or, or a, a look that 
uh, is, is genuinely funny. I mean, I think McQueen lives very comfortably in that space, um, but not all of them, you know, that that's not normal for them, but he managed to capture it in a way that's subtle. It doesn't necessarily take away from the, the weight of the story, but it's genuinely amusing. Yeah. I like the uh, relationship he develops with the three little boys, you Absolutely. know, uh, they're, they're looking out for him and they, you know, they're going to bury him if he dies and it becomes a whole, <laughs> almost like a running gag, you know, well, I'm, you know, are you going to be upset if I live? And so, yeah, I like that. Uh, that was a fun uh, kind of side story to watch. I did dig that. So. Well, you know, another thing to add too, if I, if I may, of course, uh, you know, we didn't we didn't bring we didn't bring him up before, but uh, Robert Vaughn, who also mm-hmm. is fantastic in this, yeah. um, and talking about these relationships, I think one thing that makes it so believable is, is the the chemistry these guys have. A lot of them were friends outside of this this film. You know, um, Robert Vaughn and uh, James Coburn, for example, they were they were like practically best friends their whole their whole lives. You know, it's odd that this is the only movie they ever did, did together. Um, but just seeing them on screen together is fun, you know, and, and right. I think they make the most of that, that time when, when you, when you get them in the, in the same shot. Well, and that relationship is so important because Coburn's a great example of this. I think you can probably count the amount of lines he has in this movie on one hand. Oh, oh right. He dominates the screen like constantly because of his, just his rapport with everybody, the looks on his face, just the confidence he has standing there. And I think you get that working with people you trust. Yeah. His mm-hmm. presence every time he was on screen, even if he was just sitting there with his hat on his face, you know, he was mm-hmm. just, it was really interesting to kind of just see how young they looked compared to what you saw later. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like for instance, watching um, Coburn and Maverick with Mel Gibson versus yeah. this, it's like, oh my God, that's just, you know, so different. And then especially Bronson, you know, versus oh, the Death gosh, Wish yeah. days, you know, it's like yeah. the 70s hit him hard or something because he definitely <laughs> didn't age well. But, uh, yeah, as far as uh, Vaughn, his character was very interesting because it it occurred to me after this last time I watched it, I'm like, I don't think he fired his gun until the very end of the movie. So mm-hmm. am I right? So his little, uh, so then it became, it became, he really did take this job because he didn't, he couldn't do anything else. Mm-hmm. You know I mean, he was, he couldn't do anything on his own anymore. So that was a very interesting twist. And I didn't catch that the first couple of times through and the, this time I'm like, Hey, wait a minute. <laughs> so uh, the great thing about Vaughn too is like, I, I don't know about you guys, but the first time, you know, my earlier thoughts of seeing this film when he's introduced and like when they're, when they're trying to, to recruit the, uh, the hand, the, the gunman, right. He has a real sinister look, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. even the way he's waiting for, uh, Yul Brenner's, uh, character, um, in his, in his room. Just like you're like, wait, is he, is he, do we trust him? Do we not trust him? Um, so I, I like the, I like the progression of his character that, you know, like at least for me, I didn't trust him at first. He looked a little too, he didn't look like the, like the rest of them. The rest of them looked like they're, the ranch hands and he's, right. he's a straight up, you know, he's like Doc Holliday, you know, he's got the, the he's well, very well dressed and very well kept. And I didn't know if I was going to trust him or not, but then obviously, you know, you do. He looks like a quote unquote gentleman. I'm like, what is he doing with the rest of these guys? So it was, yeah, yeah it was, it was, it was weird. Um, but it add it added flavor to the character for sure. That's one of the things that makes this different than so many other Westerns. And, you know, we'll compare it to Wild Bunch a little bit later, but they're, the characters are so varied and, and so different that the fact they were able to work together is not, not just able to work together as characters, but able to work together in a story that was engaging to the audiences why i think this is such a timeless movie it's 
there's a little bit of everything going on and everybody has their own motivation and it's not ever laid out exactly, but it's, it's fascinating. <laughs> well, the one guy was just hoping for gold or, or something and <laughs> yeah. he was convinced yeah. there had to be another yeah. reason why they were there, which was, which was great. Um, yeah. And yeah. which uh, makes his death and the guy, uh, yeah, it's all over the Hills and which was kind of, uh, it was sweet and sad all at the same time, but yeah, it was, um, cause he was like, I had to be doing it for some reason. So, but you're right. Everybody has their own reasons. Personally, I think most of them, we don't know the characters' histories. Uh, we know they probably haven't been completely stand-up citizens. So part of me feels like they're all in some kind of redemption arc. You know, um, they know this is the right thing to do and nobody else is going to do it. So if they're going to die, they at least die doing something they know is right. So it, to me, it feels like redemption arcs for most of these characters. Yeah, and that's, that's why Chico was such a great addition because I think a lot of them really desperately wanted out, but they were so deeply entrenched. So to give that new person, that that innocent almost character, an opportunity to to change really highlights that contrast. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, Chico had something to prove. You know, I love uh, I love that line. You know that uh, Yul Brenner's character has when when um he's told yeah you know these young guys something to prove he's like yeah there's a whole bunch of them in the cemetery right you know, it's it's like he's trying to look out for the guy he's, he's trying yeah. to mentor him in a way but um yeah uh, i i think that guy's great uh you know you got you mentioned uh brad dexter like <laughs> watching it this time where he's he's just he's really trying to dig at yul brenner to see like what 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 are we really doing? You know, like right. know, that's it. That's it's what I said. You know, it's, it's like it's like Jim Carrey. Like, so you're telling me there's a chance? It's like, he's, he's so convinced that there's more than twenty dollars at the end of this this uh, this job. So, well, right. I, you know. as a kid, I remember watching, thinking he was this selfish, terrible person. But now watching it back, like he's a very relatable character. I can't honestly yeah. say I would have stayed for twenty bucks. You know. Yeah. <laughs> Well, well, it's you know twenty it's bucks a, very, is a decent that, amount of money yeah. then, but <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's a decent amount. But when you're talking about the job being four to six weeks, uh, you know, of hard work, uh, and a good chance hard. you're going to get shot, and a good chance you're going to get shot, you know. But they were fed well every day. Let's be honest, <laughs> they were, you know. But I mean, look at th- think about think about Bronson. You know, we we go see we see him chopping the wood for for his breakfast. Right, and they're like, "Oh yeah, you were the guy that did this." He's like, "Yeah, they they pay me six hundred for that, and they pay me eight hundred for that." And just, Yule's like, "Yeah, this pays twenty. and he's like, "Well, that's a lot right now too." You know? <laughs> I was gonna like, say he's chopping wood for his breakfast. Yeah. So where'd that eight hundred yeah. go? <laughs> I got I got to ask a quick question because I know Andrew is the the biggest Captain America fan I know. Who's 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 chopping wood better? Is it is it Cap or is it is it Charlie Bronson in this movie? Because he looked. I mean, he was he was ripped, dude. I mean, I'm not going to badmouth Charlie Bronson, but Chris Evans literally ripped a log apart with his bare hands, <laughs> and my heart skipped a beat. So don't make me say. <laughs> okay, you don't, you don't have to answer the question. <laughs> oh, that was beautiful. Oh, too funny. All right, anything else you guys want to say? Uh, any other praises uh, about the movie? Uh, something that sticks out. You have a favorite scene, Jeff? Ooh, favorite scene. Um. That's a tough one. To, I mean, I don't feel that there is as much action uh, as as opposed to you know the Wild Bunch that we're going to talk about. But uh, 
this one's definitely got the character moments a whole lot more. And it, okay. it'd just be tough to tough to choose one. Um, I'll tell you one one of the favorite scenes I do like, uh, and we kind of we kind of talked about Chico, you know, trying to prove himself. I think one of my favorite scenes is when he comes into the bar, you know, clearly drunk, um, <laughs> upset, and uh, just the 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 supreme coolness that Yul Brenner has. Now, keep in mind, he's in the room with Steve McQueen, who is the essence <laughs> of cool. And this this kid is drunk. He's up. He's angry. His gun is drawn. He fires two shots at Yul Brenner, <laughs> misses, and Brenner doesn't even blink an eye. So, you know, and and Brenner could have taken him out at any time, and he just yeah. lets him pass out, and then he pays for the you know pays for the kid to sleep it off and yeah, buy him a drink when he wakes up. I mean, I think that's probably one of my favorite scenes because it says again, it says a lot about who who Yul Brenner's character is and right. the kind of right. man he is. So, Andrew, favorite scene? Um, I briefly touched on it earlier, but it's the the introduction of Coburn's character uh, with the, yeah. <laughs> the standoff, the, the knife fight. It's alone. If you take it out of the context of the movie and just play it as a, a short film, it's beautiful. The timing's great. Um, the the very slow dialogue is beautiful and. It, it introduces the character in a way that again with such little dialogue you're already just he's such a badass and you respect <laughs> so much and he said maybe three things you know watching everybody else say i don't know it was close i don't know it was close he's like i won <laughs> yeah nope <laughs> that's all just, nope you you tell my one you lost <laughs> yeah <laughs> he's so, he's great so good i actually uh it's another chico scene because my favorite scene is when he um, invades the bandits camp. But mm. another Chico scene I really like is when he's following them, you know, towards the village and he uh, catches fish with his bare hands. <laughs> and Ooh, that's a good one. And everybody else kind of goes, well, okay, he caught his dinner, <laughs> you know, so he can come <laughs> along because he just kind of like, I mean, because I don't know if you guys ever tried to catch a fish with your bare hands because I have and it's not easy. <laughs> <laughs> it's really it not is, it, I think it's next to impossible. I, I've tried and it's, yeah. Yeah. Those, those damn bears make it look so easy. So, <laughs> anyway, I'm an idiot. Okay. <laughs> I did hear of a job below the border shooting some flies away from a village, but I can't find out what it pays. $20. A week? Six weeks, the whole job. Well, that's ridiculous. <laughs> you heard of anything? Yeah. Below the border, showing some flies away from a little village. Their village. So, do we have... I have a couple of small complaints. So, uh, Jeff, what doesn't work for you in The Magnificent Seven? Uh, well, uh, I would say maybe the pacing a little bit. It's okay, a little slow I agree. at times. Yeah. Um, you know, I, you could... And again, with all respect to... to to uh, Sturgis, I, I think you could maybe trim a good ten minutes out of this to to pick up the pace and make it make it move a little bit. I mean, this is a western; it's an act, it's the Magnificent Seven. Um, so I feel like there could have the pacing could have been a little bit better. All right, Andrew. Um, for me, it's actually interesting because I I love the slow character study nature of it, but the action scenes themselves feel a little bit. Uh, like an afterthought. So I think a couple times during the gunfights, uh, people getting shot, things like that, that just feel like they were put in there because they have to. Uh, yeah. They don't feel well thought out. Uh, some of the the squibs or the bloodstains, it looks like somebody just dabbed red paint on a shirt. And yeah, I know like, that 
Well, half of them, salt, they get but... shot in the front and the squibs are on the back. So I'm like, <laughs> like um... having said that, there are exceptions. Some of the death scenes from the seven are, are genuinely amazing. Uh, Vaughn's death where he just kind of crumples against the wall, like breaks my heart every time. It's so good. Um, but yeah, I think some of the action scenes were a little wanting. Yeah, that um, that was one of my complaints too. It seems like, uh, yeah, I agree. The character development is really cool, but yet when it comes to, like you said, the action sequence, it's, it's kind of like, oh, well, we got to put these in here. So you put the camera there and do this, and then we'll move on. And it just, um, it felt a little bit too formulaic. Like mm-hmm. I've done this before. I know how to shoot this. Let's just do it and get it over with, kind of thing at times. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's uh, and I and overall. I kind of feel, I mean, it's a, it is, I'm not going to say it's not a good movie because it's a really, really <laughs> good movie, but it kind of felt like I've done this before, you know, we're going to, going to stick to what works and just make a movie. And I kind of feel like if you're remaking, I know Kurosawa liked it and he loved it or whatever, but to me, it's like, it just feels like another Western from that time period it felt it still felt a little too 1950s ish and i think that's my only real complaint about it so it's not i guess with the story and if you're remaking it i kind of feel like you should push the envelope a little bit um but that's that's me (laughs) no you you actually you make a great point there because the action does feel familiar like i Mm -hmm. think he was kind of resting on like oh this is how it worked 10 years ago and you know this is when I did gunfight at the OK Corral, this this shot worked. I feel like he, maybe he played it a little bit safe and pushing the envelope a little bit more probably would have helped it. Yeah. Okay. All right, man. I thought you guys were going to jump my case for that. So cool. No. <laughs> no, it's hard for me to say something bad about this movie, but yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, any other complaints? Because I let's see. Make sure. Oh, I just want to talk about Yul Brenner's walk. Was he like? <laughs> Was he channeling, you know, some version of the Duke, you know, John Wayne there? Because that's exactly what it reminded me of. And I was just like, what, 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 what's that? <laughs> I, I think this, I think this goes right back to the, the one-upmanship between him and McQueen where they're th- like, they're doing stuff on camera. Like, you know, Brenner, like the way he lights his cigar, he, he you know, little, he overemphasized it. And then McQueen is, you know he's doing his cool things like, you know, taking it, taking his hat off. Look at the sun. These guys just kept trying to push, you know, I, 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 you know, kind of steal the spotlight. And I think that walk that, that, that practically he's, he's practically sashaying, you know, (laughs) you're right. You know, and think about this too. Like they all, like I said, they all have that, you know, with exception to Robert Vaughn, they all have that, 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 that uh, cowpoke look to them. But Brenner is, he's the man in black, like head to toe. You know, black leather. You know, gun belts, black black denim, black uh, shirts. Like he's he's going, he's doing what he can to stand out. You know, he he's bringing a little bit of theater to to the film. In the, yeah, like, I think, and this is true for a lot of the movie, and it, I think it works for me because of the tone and the nature of the story. But like, there are several times I feel like he's a little over the top. He's a little bit you know, bringing some stage acting and yeah, uh-huh. I don't hate it, but yeah, that walk is definitely part of that. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, nothing against Joel Brenner. Um, as cool as he is, I mean, he's not Steve McQueen. Cool. Let's be really honest. I yeah. mean, <laughs> no, nobody is. That's not, nobody a is. <laughs> nobody is. You, know, it's uh, funny though, you mentioned his walk. 
And now I'm thinking about Jeff Goldblum's walk in, <laughs> in Jurassic Park. <laughs> right? Okay. See? <laughs> it's So it starts with John Wayne. It goes to Brenner. And now we're with Goldblum. Right. Okay. You know. Who's the next one to take up that walk? That's going to take that walk. Yeah. <laughs> You gotta, throw, you gotta throw a lot of hip into that walk. Yeah, I, I you do. do it. Yeah, no, no, I probably, I probably break my hip if I try to do that yeah. crap. So, anyway, um, and now this is a weird complaint because I know the music was nominated for an Oscar. I kind of feel like there wasn't enough music, and I mean that is there wasn't enough different pieces of music. I feel like he used a lot of the same theme over and over again, and as at times I wasn't. You know, when the music had to be certain something, it was it was good. But then there's other times where I just kept hearing the same piece. So that was a little distracting. And I know that's kind of typical of that era. So it just it, I noticed it a lot more this time than I did previously. So it's a minor complaint. And then, like I said, being nominated for an Oscar, I was kind of like, really? <laughs> so I'm like, OK, all right, fine. I'll just I'll it. tell you what the, the score reminded me of was like a modern superhero movie. In that, like, there is the mm-hmm. one iconic piece that they have, and everything else feels like filler. Um, and that piece is usually amazing, but it's it's much more about creating a lasting memory and sort of like getting excited about the moment than it is about matching the tone of the the film. Gotcha. And so I, I do love the score, but yeah, I hear what you're saying. There's it, it wasn't subtle. There was no extra stuff going on. It's just that one great song. That would right. The Wild West was pretty well tamed by 1930, driven to the border by the irresistible thrust of civilization were the remnants of the breed that had made the West wild. If they move, kill them. The payrolls were harder to get at. There were still a few trails for the kind who'd be cold before they were tamed. They called them the Wild Bunch. Pike had been a gentleman of principle. He still had a principle or two. We're not getting rid of anybody. We're going to stick together just like it used to be. When you side with a man, you stay with him. And if you can't do that, you're like some animal. You're finished. Barton should have been a lawyer. He always argued. Relax, it's just some champagne we ordered. Sykes had been a gunman in his day. He still had the gun. We, we, we gotta get him back. How? Gorch had been trying for years. Sometimes he almost worked up to normal. I want you to meet my fiance. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the Wild Bunch, released on June 18th, 1969, directed by Sam Peckinpah, who also brought us Straw Dogs, The Getaway, Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia. Uh, the movie was co-written by Peckinpah and Waylon Green, starring William Holden, Ernest Borgnine, Warren Oates, and Ben Johnson, just to name a few. Uh, the score by Jerry Fielding was nominated for an Oscar. The screenplay was also nominated for an Academy Award. Uh, the movie is noted for its intricate, multi-angle, quick-cut editing using both normal and slow motion images and a revolutionary technique at the time. It's number 80 on the AFI's 100 Greatest American Movies list. And that is why I watched it. <laughs> <laughs> when that list, when that very first AFI list came out, 
uh, I had 47 out of the hundred. So I was on a mission to try to get all hundred watched. I'm still missing a couple, but that was one of the first ones. I'm like, ah, I got to watch that. You two boys don't like equal shares. Why in the hell don't you just take all of it? Well, why don't you answer me, you damn yellow livered trash? Now, Pike, you know damn I don't well. know a damn thing except I either lead this bunch or end it right now. Jeff, what works with the Wild Bunch? Uh, what what does it work with the okay, Wild Bunch? Okay, thank you. That was going to be my answer right there. <laughs> I'll tell you. Now, this is this is a movie I didn't see like when I was little, when I, when I was younger, and I'm thankful for that because seeing it as an adult for the first time, I have so much more appreciation for it. Um, and it's, it's actually, I, I owe that to Quentin Tarantino because the first time I saw this movie was after I watched from dusk till dawn and, uh, you know, another nod to George Clooney, but when he, when he threatens everyone in the bar that he's going to turn this place into the effing wild bunch, I was like, <laughs> maybe I should go see the wild bunch now. And I, <laughs> right? was not, I went and rented the wild bunch and I was not disappointed. Nope. So, yeah, uh, I'll tell you what, what works for it. Um, this is the most action, the most violence, the most, uh, just everything rawness that you can get in a Western, uh, Peck and Paul set out to, to redefine what the Western was and he succeeded. I mean, oh, he, yes, he succeeded did. greatly with this one. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Totally. Andrew, what works for you? Um, I, I gotta say like. This is a little bit overlap with uh, what Jeff was saying, but it's the stunt work. Oh yeah, um, right. It's phenomenal. I think you can tell that you know they brought on some real professionals who who had an idea of what they were doing and they wanted to push the envelope with a lot of these stunts. Uh, the the train heist scene is uh, iconic. Um, I will I, I will say like that's what always stood out to me um, because I think the first time I watched this I was like maybe twenty one, twenty two, and pretty drunk and somebody was like hey let's watch Wild Bunch. <laughs> and i was like wow this movie's really boring because i was 21 and drunk but uh i remember that, tra that train high scene came on and i was glued to it i was like this is amazing holy crap uh and it still holds up i think a lot of that um uh, you know a lot of these older movies that the stunts have a tendency to you take them with a grain of salt you're like well it's part of the time and i think so much of this movie you don't have to do that it still holds up today mm -hmm. yeah i agree the the fact like you you mentioned like the the train the train robbery when that when that bridge explodes with the guys on it and you see them physically fall through the through the wreckage and into right. the water you know they they don't do stuff like that anymore they can't <laughs> do stuff like that anymore I mean, my, my first thought was I got to go Google and make sure those horses were okay like, I know right that <laughs> the first thing I did yeah well and it's like the movie um the oh okay what I really like about it is how it it opens and closes with just awesome shootouts you know and and what makes the opening shootout even more disturbing was the kids with the ants and the scorpions oh god yeah i was like what the hell is that all about and you know, it was i just kept watching this going that today would be all cg <laughs> so i like it was just creepy and so you know, it and it kind of set the tone for the rest of the movie. It really did, and hundred uh, yeah. percent, I totally loved it. I love yeah. that scene. That scene is as disturbing as it is. I love the way it foreshadows the end. Yeah, oh, yeah. It, it shows you that that the smaller, you know, the the weaker of the of the two can when they when they do it right, they can overcome the the 
unstoppable, you know, like the, you know, the wild bunch against the, the Mexican army, like, you know, right. it's, I mean, you, I was saving that for when you asked what my favorite scene was, cause honestly it's such a minor thing, but that, like you said, it sets the tone. It's this uneasy feeling as you're watching it. Like this is, this is dark, this is dirty. And it's like, I don't, I don't want to see this. And that, <laughs> that is sort of weirdly carried out through the whole movie. Yeah. What, um, another thing I really like about it was, uh, we talked a lot about the cast for the last movie. Um, this is filled with lots of very talented actors, but they're not pretty like the people in the last movie, you know, <laughs> they went very real world, you know, like, yeah. I mean, they're all established actors, so they all have careers, but they all went, okay, who's the, some of the most ugly people in Hollywood right now. Okay. Let's go cast all them. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, I'm just saying, you know, William Holden was at the, you know, kind of the end of his career and, you know, not really quote unquote leading man, you know, looks anymore. Yeah. And you have Ernest Borgnine and you have, you know, just people that look like you'd walk the other way on the street if you saw them coming down. So I love that because that's so anti Hollywood, anti, you know, 50s mm. and 60s. And I, and I love that. And that was, and, and that's Peckinpah saying I'm changing changing the Western genre. And that's, and I love that he did that. That's a great choice. And they were all really good too. I mean, so it was top notch acting too. Yeah. These guys have character in their faces. And I'll tell you right now, if you swap the cast with these two movies, I wouldn't believe the wild bunch because, right. it, oh, yeah. you know, yeah. the wild bunch can't be a bunch of baby faces. You need Ben Johnson and Warren Oates playing uh, the Gorge brothers. Um, <laughs> they were like great. You said, I, they were so great. Uh, <laughs> I, I've been a fan of Ben Johnson ever since I saw him in Red Dawn when he played right. Mr. Mason. Right. And when, then when I found out that he was like an old school cowboy and had, had all these Westerns, I went deep diving after Red <laughs> Dawn to find like because he, he just has a, a look. He's got that voice. Uh, man. Everyone in this movie, yeah, Ernest Borgnine is not going to be on a <laughs> people's list of 50, 50 sexiest people. Or <laughs> but he's a hell of an actor, and he's a hell of an action actor. You know, when you see him in this and you think about him in the Poseidon Adventure, I love Borgnine when he's doing right. action. You know, yeah, absolutely yeah, love agreed. Him. Yeah, it's it, Borgnine to me is the standout of the movie. He's He's the most memorable character to me. Um, I think, you know, he's the most fun, but also like when he does get serious, it carries the most weight. I think he, he was amazing in this. Yeah. And, uh, for my age, the first time I really remember seeing him, um, was probably the Poseidon adventure, but then right. of course, uh, escape from New York, you know, mm -hmm. as cabbie and you're just like, he's kind of a, you know, whiny little whatever so going back and seeing him in this i was like holy crap he can be kind of a badass you know so borgnine can kick some ass when he needs to right <laughs> yeah so yeah and um and you're right this is the violence level on this movie and the action sequences and it i mean you wouldn't even have to change anything i don't think to make it today you know what i mean the yeah. level of stunt work the the sequence how to put together it it still carries over and i'm like watching this going yes you know um it's like peck and paul embraced he, he saw that the studios were changing and said you know what cool i can get away with this and it was and it's great and it it's so much just so much fun to watch and it's it's a longer movie than the magnificent seven but it doesn't feel like that at all and i think that's just you know you put the good character development along with uh, an interesting story and good action sequences and um I was all in the entire time. Didn't even didn't even get up to refill my drink. 
<laughs> Dayton, you you mentioned uh, character development. Uh, one thing I'll, I'll ask you both: Did you watch the director's cut of yes. the Wild Bunch, or did you, okay? Yeah, I did. Uh, what well, you did? Okay, because the first time I saw it, it wasn't the director's cut. So the fact that Pike and and Thornton are just hell bent to take each other out, I never understood it. Didn't make sense. Mm. I love the, that the director's cut establishes their right. history and and kind of leads into why. He, they they can't let each other go and they're on a collision course. So yeah, I that's that I mean cool with the, that's with super the important. Without that, yeah, you're right. That whole thing really doesn't make sense. I mean, yeah, it allows people to kind of come up with their own ideas, but yeah, it's way more in, interesting knowing what happens. And it gives the end so much more weight. Uh, I don't. Oh yeah. Think I, w- I think I would have been very uh, confused at the end. You know, watching him just sort of give up if I didn't understand that relationship. Mm-hmm. I know we said that pretty much everything works. So uh, aside from the, the, the train heist uh, and the, well, aside from the train heist and the final shootout, uh, what's your third favorite scene, Jeff? Because I know those are my two. So. Okay. So you're saying aside from the, like the, the shootout at the bank at the beginning and the train heist, or well, I guess we got three big action sequences. Right. So. Cause I was going to say, cause I, to, to me, I think, the shootout at the end is friggin' phenomenal. And I think, oh gosh, yeah. I think action movies have been trying to duplicate that ever since. Mm-hmm. Uh, it it yeah. literally set the bar for, sh- you know, shootouts and movies after that. So Ooh, I, I, had I, I do have about that shootout, but I'm afraid to say I'm not. I, I, got, I, I, I know fine. That's, a... that's fine. You, you can be wrong all day long. It's cool. <laughs> so, so. Another scene does come to mind, but before we get to that, like w- when we talk about the the end with uh, that walk, you know, it, correct me if I'm wrong. It isn't isn't the wild bunch what creates the the quote unquote hero walk, you know, with them walking through town like the way they. You do? know what? I know that was kind of like on the fly. They didn't have that plan that day, but it's so iconic, and it's you know. Oh yeah, I've you've, we've seen it a thousand times in other movies. But I don't know about before this one where I see it. And maybe I have, but I, I just don't remember. This but, one uh, definitely stands out. And for sure, um, yeah. I think there's, yeah, there's so much in this movie that's been tried to be duplicated since. So, yeah, I could probably see this as one of the first ones people are like, ah, let's do that. That looked, that looked really cool. Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a scene I liked um, that wasn't involving a major uh, <laughs> shootout was when the, uh, the uh, the Gorch brothers are celebrating, you know, and we've seen this in a lot of the westerns too. Where hey, we got one last, you know, one last fight, and we're gonna go get drunk and have some fun and meet the ladies, and you know, just leave it all out on the on the table. When they're uh, they're having some fun with the the three the three women, and they're shooting up the the wine and, and, and they're swimming in it. I mean, right, you have. You've gone, you you know, all bets are off when you are naked with your brother and three prostitutes in a vat of, of, of vino. So right. I can't even imagine what that would feel like or be like. But uh, I, I love that scene because just how, how ridiculous and how fun it is, because this is what you would expect those guys to do. Right. And I love the fact that those women weren't actresses. Those were actual prostitutes that. <laughs> He hired just so he could say Warner Brothers provided prostitutes for my actors, and <laughs> and correct, legally he's correct. So, yes, which is know. hilarious. I mean, come yeah. on, you know, talk about re- you know realism in film. That's great. Yeah. That's great yeah. stuff. Oh. 
and the funny thing you picked that one because that was actually one of mine but as far as emotional i don't know if it's emotional um when borgnine leaves behind uh oh crap what's Angel. his name yes uh, when he leaves That's him behind because oh. the look on his face because you know oh. he, he know he wants to do something but he knows he'll die right there if he does yeah so yeah. that is such a powerful scene and mm-hmm. you know kudos to borgnine for pulling it off but yeah that that stuck in my head because i was like watching it going wow he's really going to leave them there and he really doesn't want to and man yeah that's a strong scene so i love that one i agree it's it was going to be my favorite as well it's because there's so much weight behind it emotionally as one of my major complaints about this movie is that like i don't care about the characters they're they're all kind of terrible the whole way through so i don't care what happens to them except for angel and this one scene as you see this this only halfway decent person in the group get left behind and you see the realization dawning on him and then what hit borgnine turning around and looking at him as he rides away it it's a kick in the gut it's mm-hmm. it's so well done by both of them and it's it's obviously sets up the rest of the movie well it, even even uh, jamie sanchez who plays angel he's got to keep his mouth shut or they will kill ernest borgnine mm-hmm. you know and so when borgnine's just like he's a thief you deal with him he knows he has to play to that you right. know or and that's and in, in essence he is saving borgnine's life in that mm-hmm. in that moment i think and it is right. it's it's a gut punch of a scene and um you know andrew when you you know you're talking about borgnine earlier he does like when when you need the emotional weight in this movie you've got borgnine front and center cuz even yeah. the scene when they're at the the campfire uh, earlier and he, you know, they're talking and, you know, the guys making them coffee like Andrew would, <laughs> you know, I love that, you know, they're talking about how things are changing, you know, the old West is going away. It's cause this is 1913 when this is, yeah. when this is, uh, you know, the time period. And I love that the idea that they know that their time is up, like the way they're doing things is, is, is outdated. Mm-hmm. And Borgnine just has that line, you know, like, you know, I wouldn't have it any other way, you know, right. It, he, he said right then, right then I was like, okay, well, He's not going to make it because, uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, these guys are set on in the world that they've created and they're not going to evolve. They can't evolve. honestly. Right. Right. And I take issue with you saying these guys are all despicable. Yes, they're <laughs> crooks. And yes, um, they don't do great things. But to be fair, um, for the most part, they I mean, they do go back for Angel. They do look out for each other. So. I mean, they're not complete. I mean, it's not like they, because you know, like I said, Borgnine did not want to leave him behind. Yeah, you know, so they live their life as as crooks, and you know, if if they were truly despicable, it wouldn't have mattered that that guy had left behind. You know, and uh, Holden's character was led let Angel take guns to you know people you know to help the rebels. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I feel totally, like I have to. <laughs> I mean, they're I not like, good guys, but I got to tell you, I was way more invested in what happened to them than the, the Magnificent Seven. I'm not going to lie. I was way more invested in them. That that may be, but let's not forget the fact that these these are the guys that several times in the movie are using innocent bystanders as human shields <laughs> for sure. to stop bullets. So yeah. and that includes women. Oh, know? come on now. That's just a minor complaint. Seriously. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> Borg, Borgnine's not despicable, but he does <laughs> throw a woman in front of him to take a couple bullets so he can get through a door. I, you know, it, 
He could have been nicer. Yeah, yeah he could have been nicer. You're right. He, no. You know, no, look, I, look. What they makes get this movie? Yeah, yeah they do. What <laughs> makes this? What makes this movie fun is that it's bad guys versus bad guys versus worse guys. You know, <laughs> yeah. Because the 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 railroad men, they're bad guys. Right. Um, the wild bunch, definitely bad guys. And the the Mexican army, uh, you know, the general, uh, he absolutely is a bad guy. So <laughs> yeah. you know, it's just pick pick your level of uh, of badness that you want to ride with, I guess. Yeah, and I think that's why I liked uh, the wild bunch um his group better because i am not a fan of of corporate greed and that's definitely what the railroad guys were and i'm yeah. definitely not a fan about you know crooked military and that's exactly what the mexican army was so you know hey these guys <laughs> you know i'm they're cool they're all right as long as yeah. i stay out of their way we're good <laughs> I, I i don't mean to imply like i obviously by the end of it i'm rooting for these characters but right. I, I think that um one of the things and this is you mentioned it like this is sort of the end of that Western era that they're, they're highlighting. And I think that that's what makes this so interesting is they're starting to show the, the violence and the, the darkness that is the Cowboys. John Wayne even famously hated this movie because it destroyed the myth of the American West and all the annoying John Wayne-ness of, I'm, I'm not a huge John Wayne fan in case you couldn't tell. Uh, Me neither. Because he, he always wanted these like amazing, great heroes and all this stuff. And, uh, so I do love that they showed that darkness. I think it's really interesting. I think that because of this, we get movies like Unforgiven, which is one of my favorite Westerns of, of all time and always will be. Um, so I, I don't necessarily dislike the movie for that, but it made it harder for me to necessarily care. Gotcha. Okay. You know. That's fair. Well, you know, and again, to, to the, to how bad are they? Think about, <laughs> think about Pike in the, in the very beginning with the bank robbery. Mm-hmm. He, he, He's, he gives us one of the most iconic lines of the movie, uh, but definitely of the movie, maybe uh, in, you know, when it comes to just like top 100 quotes, even I would think, you know, he like the the people inside the, the hostages inside the bank, you know, he tells Bo Hopkins character, if they move, kill him. <laughs> and, th- you know, he's he's your hero character saying this, <laughs> but you believe that he definitely would say he, he has no issue with them dying, you know, mm-hmm. Um so I, I think it, it immediately establishes the fact that, you know, these guys are bad guys and I don't know who they're going up against, but they got to be worse. So, yeah, right. What in the hell's the matter with you, old man? Leave him alone. He's going to get us all killed. I'm going to get rid of him. We're not getting rid of anybody. We're going to stick together just like it used to be. When you side with a man, you stay with him. And if you can't do that, you're like some animal. You're finished. We're finished. All of us. I, I'm going to throw out a little bit here. I'll try not to be too controversial for you. Uh, um, I don't mind controversy. Come on, let's go. <laughs> I think the the final shootout with the high bar that the, the earlier action scene set is far too jarring. Uh, it's too quick cut and you can't really follow any of the action. And for me, you know, I think my expectations are so high for this amazing, great shootout. And it's, it's, you know, they, they cut Angel's throat, they pull the gun. And from that point on, it's almost hard to keep up with where anybody is or what's going on in the action. And I, I guess I just had higher expectations for this. Uh, it's, it's really rapid fire. And then all of a sudden it's over. You know what I mean? Okay. I, I have a different take on it. Uh, it definitely, pl- it definitely feels, I, so I'll, I'll agree with you. It does. 
uh, feel different from the other two big action pieces in this. Um, they, they're, they're more smooth and, you know, um, I don't, I don't want to say rehearse, but like you can see everything that's happening. You mm-hmm. don't miss anything in the, in the first two, this one, I feel like with the inclusion of the machine gun, that turns this whole scene into chaos. And yeah. uh, I, I, I always felt like Peck and Paul did that um, intentionally to kind of give put you in that, like, I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do kind of mentality because when they shoot, uh, um, what's what's the, the guy's name? Mapache. Uh, Mapache, yeah. When they shoot him and everyone just freezes, the look of fear on uh on the wild bunch's faces like because they're they're surrounded they're in camp and yeah. no one has done anything and everyone's just like what oh my god what <laughs> did that just happen are we no one's doing anything yet and then they go and shoot the other general <laughs> yeah and then it, and then chaos erupts so that right. that calm before the storm sets you up i feel like for this massive chaotic battle where you don't know where to look you don't know what's going on you know I mean, for crying out loud, there's kids with guns in that in that in that right. town. Yeah. Uh, so it, you no. don't know where it's coming from. It's coming from everywhere. Yeah, at, at that and point. that was actually my take on it too, Jeff. Was um, it's supposed to feel totally screwed up because I mean they're even looking around everywhere because they literally are surrounded. They you know they literally are looking twenty different ways every every second, and they don't know where to go. So then they just start shooting everywhere. Um, so it does feel disjointed. It does feel chaotic. And I completely think that's on purpose. I think it works because I, like I said, I don't even, I don't even know. I blinked when I was watching it because yeah. I was trying to take everything in and just watch what was going on. And then when that kid shoots him, I'm like, really? The kid did it yeah. too. <laughs> I'm yeah. like, cause you're like, there's the next, there's the next you know, army right there. Yeah. Trust so, nobody. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I but I I do see your point, but I I I think it was on purpose, and it what I think it works um, because it is different than the rest of the movie. It is totally different than the rest of the movie. Yeah. All right. Um, I do have a couple uh, minor complaints. Um, General Mapache is a little too silly. Um, <laughs> He's um, it's like, you know, he's going to just kill people for whatever his actual his um, I guess his lieutenant or whatever. I feared him way more than I did Mapache. He just seemed to be kind of an idiot. You know, he's standing there during that one battle watching his men just get destroyed. And then he hears, oh, they got the guns. OK, we can leave now. And it in the way he was acting at the parties and just, you know, he was a little too campy for me to really fear but his second in command that dude scared me so um it's like how is this how is the second in command not overthrown this ridiculous dictator so that's my biggest complaint with it um with the movie i would i would say that might be my only complaint um mapache is a little bit of a a cartoon right you know a little a little too cliched even even for the era that this film came out a little little cliched right so. We know Andrew doesn't like the last shootout. Anything? <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, do you have any other complaints? Anything else that doesn't work for you? Uh, no, I think, I mean, from my perspective, we already touched on it. I just okay. I wish I knew a little more what happened at the end as opposed to just everybody died. 
Well, that's what happened. Everybody died. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, come on. This is not a John Woo shootout, man. It's just, <laughs> it's not a ballet. Um, it's more like me dancing. So that tells you how much. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> that's a terrible image. I apologize. Yeah. Okay. Well, me and the boys here, <laughs> we got some work to do. You want to come along? It ain't like it used to be, but uh, it'll do. Moving on. So now we're going to do our, our questions, uh, you know, our versus questions. You guys ready for this? Yeah, I'm ready. All right. So first question, which movie has the better score? Jeff. Absolutely. It's the Magnificent Seven. Uh, I, don't, I don't even have to think about it. This is, right. this is Bernstein at his best. And let's not forget John Williams is playing piano in this score. The all-time great John Williams. So bonus points there. All right. Andrew? It's, I don't think it's as clear-cut as, as Jeff made it seem. I am going to give it to the Magnificent Seven. Um, but, you know, we talked a little bit about, uh, I think, where that's lacking. And I think the Wild Bunch did a better job of setting the mood with the score at times. But I think the, the score in Magnificent Seven is iconic. I don't think mm-hmm. it'd be hard to take that down. All right. Well, I'm going to be the the standout. I'm going with the Wild Bunch. I I I liked the music more on a whole. Um, I and uh, it, it did help do a better job setting the mood. Um, I liked listening to it more than the other one. I'm not saying that it, the other one, you know, he is the great. And yes, John Williams is on there, but it doesn't it doesn't sway my opinion, even though I'm a Star Wars nerd. Um, really careful not to slander John Williams' name here. Yeah, I can't. <laughs> Watch yourself. Yeah, you gotta, gotta I'm just saying. Very, very gently around that. <laughs> just saying. For a man that, that don't go heel, you're running your mouth <laughs> reckless. <laughs> Spectacular. Okay. Um, which movie does action better? Jeff. Wild Bunch. Absolutely. Andrew, I mean, it's not even a contest. Wild yeah, Bunch. yeah, three for three. Okay, fun question. Who would you rather ride with, the Magnificent Seven or the Wild Bunch, Jeff? I'm going to go with the Magnificent Seven here because, yeah, the Wild Bunch are very loyal to one another, but I think I would have a better chance at uh, a good night's sleep and uh, a hot meal <laughs> and some camaraderie with the Magnificent Seven. So. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely gonna ride with those guys. All right, Andrew. Yeah, I, I gotta agree with Jeff here. I feel like hanging with the Wild Bunch is like hanging with those bros that you're like pretending to laugh just because you're uncomfortable. <laughs> That's like every moment with those guys. At least a few of the the Magnificent Seven I can get along with, you know. All right. See, um, I struggled with this because yes, my odds of surviving are better with the Magnificent Seven. <laughs> But I think I would have, I think I would have had more fun with the Wild Bunch uh, because they seem to, when they're having fun, they're definitely having fun. And uh, they're, I like their plans a lot better. It was way more, <laughs> way more fun to watch as opposed to let's just build some stuff and wait for them to show up. So anyway, um, so I'm going to go with the Dangerous Wild Bunch. So which film was actually better made if you had to give it like a grade? So Jeff, which one was better made? this is it's it's a tough one to answer i'm going to say the magnificent seven was better made and i'm basing that off of character development and cinematography i'm not basing it off of uh stunts and action sequences obviously but um i feel like i feel like sturgis made 
um, he had a better production, like the production mm-hmm. value might maybe is what I'm going to say. Okay. All right. Andrew. It's, it's a tough call. I think some categories, uh, wild bunch takes it, but I got to go with magnificent seven as well. And I think part of that is at, at its core filmmaking is storytelling. And I think the story is just more compelling. It's more iconic, uh, that, and you combine the cast. I don't, I don't think many movies can compete with the cast of the magnificent seven. I love it so much. Mm-hmm. But it, it was a tough call. I don't want to, I don't want to make it seem like that was an easy one. Yeah. So I, I uh, ultimately, I'm going with the Wild Bunch because I enjoyed it a lot more. And you're right, the production value might be a little bit better on the Magnificent Seven, but I also felt that it was still, like I said before, it still felt very 1950s Western. So. I still, I'm going to give the edge to the wild bunch um, just because, you know, well, because in my mind, if you take everything, I thought the character development was interesting because I thought there was stuff that we, at the very beginning, you thought one thing. And then by the end, you thought something different. Um, They might not have had these giant character arcs, but I still felt that there was history that was unraveling. There were stories that were being told. So, you know, it's, I'm just going to give the edge to the bunch. I got to ask you, because you said this a couple of times that Magnificent Seven felt very 1950s Western, which is very accurate. But why is, for me, the Wild Bunch still felt very much like 1960s Western. Um, and for See, both I, of them, I think they're a product of their time, and that doesn't necessarily work for or against either of them. Well, because the way I look at it is uh, with the Magnificent Seven, it felt like they were making another, uh, just another Western with a lot of people in there, a lot of famous people, and it didn't feel like anything different. It was just like, you know, Hey, we're doing this again and whatever. And with the wild bunch, I don't feel like it was felt very sixties. I felt like it felt, you know, it feels very early seventies, like embracing the auteur phase that we go through that uh, Brad Cozo is such a fan of as I am too. But Mm -hmm. to me, we'll, we'll go with the eighties analogy too, for Jeff. Um, there's a lot of movies in the 80s that are great and there's a lot of movies in the 80s that feel very 80s whereas if you watch them 20 years later they're timeless and to me like i said if i was you know watching the wild bunch again i could just tell somebody it just looks old it's not really old and they might believe me because it doesn't feel like it was shot and made in 1960s is my point okay if you had a choice which one would you are you going to watch right when this podcast is over jeff Wild bunch, Andrew. I'm gonna go Magnificent Seven. It's mm-hmm. it's fun. Uh, I think it, for me this is a slam dunk because the same reason I like a, a good Marvel movie now and then. It's it's fun. Uh, it's it's engaging in a way that like I don't have to I don't have to think. You know what I mean? Sometimes you can just be like, this is awesome. I want to put it on and really get into it and laugh. All and right. That's what I like, Magnificent Seven. Okay, that's cool. Um, I'm gonna pick the bunch just because I it was so much fun to watch. And at times I got bored with the magnificent seven, even though there was, you know, there was humor in it and interesting characters. I still kind of was like, okay, get to the next, next bit. (laughs) (laughs) We've, we've seen them stand there and look cool long enough. Okay. Um, Never. I've never seen Steve McQueen standing there and looking cool. (laughs) Yes. But there's lots of other movies where he's looking even cooler. So, (laughs) um, Okay, now the tough question. If you could keep only one, which one is it, Jeff? One's got to go, one stays. Not a tough question at all. All right. I'm going to keep the Wild Bunch 
because if I want to watch the Magnificent Seven, I've got Akira Kurosawa's Seven Samurai. So I'm, I'm that story. That story's timeless. It, it's I don't care if we're in feudal Japan or in the Old West. It's it's the same story. So I'm keeping the Wild Bunch because Kurosawa didn't make a Wild Bunch for right. me to me to appreciate. So and there's also that what bunch. 2016 uh, Magnus Seven remake. I don't know. Um, we don't have time. I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I was very, very careful to not bring that up. Don't, don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I had to talk about being controversial. Come on now. All yeah. right, Andrew, which one are you keeping? Uh, Jeff might have actually changed my mind on this, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna stick with my original answer. Um, the reason I want to keep Magnificent Seven isn't just because of the movie itself. I think so many other films have been influenced by it, and that story has been retold a lot of different ways. Right. Um, I mean, from uh, Pixar did it with A Bug's Life. Um, I think Johnny Depp did it with Rango. But uh, Jeff, I, I've talked to you how many times about how much I love Three Amigos. And that mm-hmm. is very clearly a play on this movie. And so all of the different uh, things that we've gotten from Magnificent Seven, I wouldn't want to lose those two. So I got to go with Magnificent Seven. All right. That's fair. Yeah, I'm keeping the bunch. Yeah, for all the same reasons Jeff said, because there is the original. And uh, so, yeah, I'm going to keep that one. Um, because I do think that we still would have gotten uh, those later movies, those later uh, similar tales because of that, because Akira uh, uh, was such a big influence on filmmaking. So mm-hmm. I'm willing to wager a bet that we still would have gotten A Bug's Life and those other movies. So I, I can't risk Three Amigos. I can't do it. It's too much. <laughs> oh, very funny. So, Andrew, uh, where can people get your wonderful coffee? I just received two uh two bags of it in the mail the other day. So thank you very much. <laughs> I love that smell when you open the bag for the first oh, time. Oh, it was great. I actually could smell it through the wrapping when I pulled it out of the, out of the mailbox. I was like coffee. <laughs> love it. Uh, well, if you're in the Cleveland area, you can always stop and visit us in Avon. Uh, but if you're not, we deliver anywhere in the U S stop by blackkeycoffee.com. Uh, and we will be rolling out here soon. Our holiday survival blend, which has an increased amount of caffeine to get you through the next couple of, uh, difficult months. <laughs> I might be getting some of that. <laughs> I I had that the the first run that they did. Uh, not only will it get you through, it is fantastic. <laughs> that is such a great flavor. So I'll be I'll be putting in my order for that one too. Fantastic. Right. Well, thank you, Andrew, for stopping by. I appreciate it. All right, uh, Jeff, what's coming up on the Film by Podcast? Well, uh, I'll thank you again. Uh, obviously, yesterday we just dropped our our Lucas episode on our limited series 1986 that uh, you joined us for. Um, this, uh, upcoming week though, we're going to start to switch gears, get, get a little more family friendly holiday, like, uh, talking about, uh, Penny Marshall and her film, the preacher's wife. Oh, so, very good choice. That'll be that. That's next. Cool. Thank you, Jeff. Uh, I want to thank the listeners for, uh, stopping by and, uh, giving up part of your day to listen to us and what we have to say, uh, means a lot. So thank you very much. Um, some upcoming episodes next week, come back by and we are going to, uh, check out the Nirvana unplugged in New York record. Uh, one of the only Nirvana records I actually own on vinyl. I'm excited about that one. And then to round out November, I'm having some uh, Muppet fans on because we are attacking, uh, the Muppet Christmas Carol excited about that. Uh, we are in the holiday season and a great many people do struggle during this time of year. So make sure you're looking out for your friends, family, and neighbors, uh, reach out to them, see if they need any help and uh, look after each other. Uh, we're all in this together. So 
that's important. Do yourself a favor, watch more movies. And remember, physical media is better than streaming. The Docking Bay 77 podcast is produced and edited by Dayton Johnson, recorded with Rode Pod mics, the Zoom Pod Track P4, and edited on Audacity. Opening music provided by Eric Jason Brock. You can find him on YouTube and Bandcamp. Thank you for listening. <laughs>